And that's, that's a pretty accurate description of our brain. I mean, it really can do anything for you that you want it to, if you work hard at it and believe in it. And, and there aren't really many things like that in the world. everybody and welcome to episode 23 of the two lads podcast this week on the podcast we're talking to dr drew ramsey dr drew is a psychiatrist author and farmer he's a clear voice in the mental health conversation and one of psychiatry's leading proponents of using nutritional inventions he's an assistant clinical professor of psychiatry at columbia university dr drew is a total legend we had an awesome conversation with him and we're really excited to bring this to you he's got a lot of knowledge on uh, different ways of hacking your brain so that you can get the best out of it enough of me going on let's get straight into the episode here's Dr. Drew, episode 23 on the Two Lads podcast. Let's get into it. Yes, mate. Yes, mate. Dr. Drew, how are you? Welcome to the show. Yes, mate. I'm very well, gentlemen. Daniel, like it's good to see you and be speaking with you. It's a pleasure. Happy New Year. Yeah, yeah. Happy New, Happy New Year to you too. We're excited to to have you. Um, this is our second season that we're just kind of jumping into. So um, we've been uh, getting guests on the show, which has been like really exciting and and kind of going up another level with, for for us. And um, in in we want to learn. We're lads that want to learn. So we're kind of bringing in guests now as kind of mentors almost for the show for when we have a guest on. And uh, so we're going to pick your brain if that's all right. Oh, that's, that's good. But I mean, if I get like in a mentor role, I get to hold you accountable all year with uh, oh, yeah. wild and crazy goals we set about your mental health. Absolutely. It's all recorded. So anything you can hold us to, that's it will be. Yeah, yeah. We can always point to back to it. Future, make sure that Daniel and Leggy have taken care <laughs> yeah. of the things that we soon discover they need to. All right. Yeah. Well, we're we're all about uh, self responsibility and accountability here. So, uh, and me and uh, Daniel like to uh, set each other uh, goals and hold each other accountable in our own self development and even in our like uh, physical fitness, whatever we're doing in our life, we kind of hold each other accountable. So uh, we're all down for that anyway. So it's uh, it's all part of it for us. I think that's good. I think it's also something that a lot of people find to be, you know, one of the, like the unspoken keys to their physical and mental health is that kind of uh, accountability partner, you know, whether it's your mm-hmm. lifting partner, your running partner, or whether it's a person who like, I don't know, I got a couple of guys in my life who are just like, tell it to me real, like, how is it right now? You know, they'll show right. up out of nowhere. And, and I think those, yeah, the, you got to go through this with folks to, I think, to be as effective as we can be. I think that's so, you know, I think we're, we're kind of seeing, I think more and more, um, as, uh, uh, I've done a job that's very solitary and, and I imagine, you know, that, that having been in the medical field and having studied, it is quite a solitary thing as well. You know, you're studying and although you get to see patients, I was going to ask you whether you do have a, a community of people that you, we, we set up a, a men's team cause we couldn't, we didn't get enough friends. Uh, Dr. Drew. So we just had a men's team that we meet with every week and it's part of that accountability. But I was going to ask you whether, you know, I've, I've watched my mum become a doctor, go to medical school, do all that. And it's a fucking hard process. It, was there for you somebody or people that kind of held you accountable or held you as a, as a man in this, you know, with the kind of friendship and love in the same way that you care for people? Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's a really nice uh, question. I appreciate that. I think that, you know, one of the real hazards of the medical field um, is isolation. And, and then um, you need to see a lot and, and you see a lot before it's going to happen to you. You see a lot that's, you know, just raises the big questions about life and, and the fragility of it. Mm. Uh, so I think it's very important physician, for all physicians, but I'm going to expand the sort of healthcare providers to have a lot of healthy tools, how to discharge that and process that. And then to have people that support you for sure. That's, I have, I'm really blessed. I mean, I, uh, 
it's one of the things I can tell that I'm like less depressed because I'm really like more aware of it these days. But I just feel very uh, blessed having a, really just a, a number of just communities of people that have really helped me up and supported me mm. from. I went to this really special high school, the Indiana Academy for Science, Mathematics, and Humanities. And I still, just the other day, I got this like beautiful text from one of my long-term friends there, just like, you know, just a very, sort of making sure I knew the good I was doing, you right. know, and just like, and so, um, so I think I'm really blessed with having a lot of that. I have a, a, a partner, my wife, who's been my wife and my, I don't know, forever now, like more than 20 years. And, and uh, so, you know, I've really achieved anything in my life uh, that's of any substance without her. Uh, mm. So, and then in terms of what you're, you know, I think alluding to sort of other men, you know, I think that's something I'm certainly still working on, especially at this age. I'm at an age, I'm, I think a little older than you guys, where, where men generally, the, the, the statistics are quite sad. We, we kind of, you know, struggle to make connections. And then as yeah. we age, we lose them. And then eventually like, you know, men are old, like, can you name any friends? It's like, no, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like these assholes, <laughs> and you know, I think we see men who do that really differently, right? Mm. Whether it's often around sports, right, or or a mm-hmm. game, or a bar, or a cafe, but uh, and so I, I've, I've tried to be very, I don't know, just aware and more intentional over maybe the last five or ten years of just trying to uh, do a better job on my end of of or my side of the street of mm. of reaching out, thinking about. Uh, the way that, the, you know, a lot of my male friends like give to me, uh, yeah. what that's a, a lot of my, uh, the guys I know are just, uh, give a lot of experiences mm-hmm. where they're taking me out in the mountains or they're showing me a new sport. Um, and then I realized also just the importance within my own field and profession of just kind of needing to, well, uh, I would say reconnect, but also as I've, I don't know, evolved a little bit into a little more of a telepsychiatrist and someone's really kind of interested in the messaging in the media and kind of the mental health 2.0 that's really evolving. Um, you know, who are the folks that are in that conversation? Who are the folks mm-hmm. where I, I want to make sure that, it, you know, I can bounce some of these ideas off of them and hear what they're thinking. So, yeah. Do you, um, do you answer? I'm sorry, Daniel. I don't no, feel no, no, it. You nailed it. You nailed it. That's exactly what we're kind of. Okay. Right. I was going to just follow up on that and just say to you, uh, ask you, do you, do you come across? Do you come up against resistance to 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 expand in the, you know in where you haven't gone before? And you know, for example, you were just saying about you know you're you're, you're aware of like how to connect to men is a bit harder f- and f- as men. Like, do you do you feel that resistance to kind of like you're obviously super smart? You've gone through all this. You've you've learned all this stuff. You're doing all these wonderful things in the world. But like, you know, you only know what you know. Right. So do you find it hard to progress outside of your own comfort zone and learn more? Uh, you know, I don't find myself in a place of like comfort zone a lot too often, to be honest with you. I, I, uh, I mean, I know what, what you mean, but I, I think that probably something about being a psychiatrist is that you're, you're often in, you're often feeling a lot of things that are, mm. uh, you know, um, uncomfortable, whether it's the limits of, you know, I don't know, I had a crisis drop in my lap yesterday and I'm, you know, mm-hmm. as you, as you click hang up the limits of knowing, like, was that the right thing? Is that the right medicine? Is that person going to sleep tonight? Uh, you know, did I miss something? Uh, I think, you know, all of those cliche quotes about when we're uncomfortable, we're learning are true. Uh, and have been really kind of true for me in my life of, of and probably part of what led me into mental health and psychiatry of when, when you're sitting with something that really pisses you off or hurts you or like tweaks you that like, you know, that's, that's about you. Yeah. And, and the more that you sit with that and you know, the more of what really frustrates us, angers us, upsets us like so often for men, that's projection. And, and mm. so, so when I find that, you know, not being in my comfort zone, like I've moved to this really extreme mountain town and I'm a little out of my comfort zone where there's a sort of, um, there's a way that as you get into a, a, a deep snow, not even that far into a mountain that you're really vulnerable in a way that we're not often vulnerable, especially I'm not often vulnerable here in my warm Zoom cage pod, talking to podcasters <laughs> and patients. And, uh, and so I, I think there's a... Um, 
you know, there, there's a lot about how we meter out and, 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 and think about discomfort. You know, I think part of that, there's a big movement of like all the ice baths and things like that. And, you know, I think there's, there's lots of interesting data about that, but you know, at the core of that is probably you don't need an ice bath, which is really just challenging all of us to think about where we get uncomfortable and, and really the roots of why that is and, and how those things some, you know, often get in our ways. Mm. Do you, do you think that we're kind of doing that these days because we have so many of our like basic needs met and that those things that we've evolved through time were part of our daily experience. So we didn't need to jump into an ice bath because we were literally in ice baths trying to get food. We were cold. You know? yeah. <laughs> it wasn't like a pastime. It was like a daily, yeah. like, yeah, why are you jumping into an ice bath at home once you've been in the ice all day kind of thing? Do you think we're I, adding I, that I, into our lives to keep up with like how to develop as humans or to stay on point? I think you're speaking to what we've lost in terms of physical movement being integrated into our lives. I think about this a lot of, uh, I grew up in really rural Indiana and, uh, and, and there's a lot of wood splitting, which is a great exercise. And then as I, I moved back there when I was an adult and was living on the farm, it, it was funny as like, you know, there was like an exercise as like this mace that you swing around in the gym, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, right. and, and, and the contrast, have you all seen that on Instagram and all those ripped dudes on Instagram yeah, yeah. and, you know, being out yeah. there in the country where you're getting blisters and your effort, you know, is measured in the heat that you're going to generate this winter. And, yeah. you know, and, you know, you're fighting a knotty piece of oak. And so, you know, and that doesn't have a number of reps, right? Mm. That doesn't, that doesn't have a, you know, anybody rooting for you or, 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 you know, tracking on your app. It's just kind of out there in the world. So I do, I do think a lot of that has been lost. I do, a lot of men still have a lot of physical activity in their life and in their work. I mean, I think often we forget about all of the, you know, laborers and workers and then men who, you know, lift right. and move and women, right. Who are really active as part of their daily lives, whether there are medics or, you know, you know, people in healthcare who are walking five and 10 miles as they're taking care of patients all over. So, but, but, you know, I think what you're suggesting is that there are things for all people and particularly us as men to be on the lookout for that are really have, have left our lives and mm -hmm. now have reentered our lives in ways that might not be uh, as good for us from a mental health perspective. I think mm -hmm. movement and kind of how we think about body images are certainly one of those. Yeah. And I guess that transitions into, into you know, I've always, what I've really liked about some of your your talks and and, uh, and your work is that one of the things you say is anxiety is a superpower. And, yeah. uh, you know, and, and, and I just wondered, can you kind of elaborate for, you know, we are seeing a huge rise in kind of men's mental health and, and people's mental kind of health be, coming to the fore and people are always saying mental health awareness, right? And, and that feels like, okay, we're aware we have mental I health. I saying that, Daniel. Yeah, I, still, Sorry, I, just, you say stop saying it, but I just say mental health action now. I mean, like, I, I like that. awareness. Awareness is good. Nobody know. You got to look before yeah. you leap. You got to know where you're jumping, yeah. but like, I do every time it's mental health awareness month. I'm like, a, I feel like an asshole. Cause I'm like, yeah. all right. Like I love this awareness. People like, wow. Like, but yeah, I don't I'm know. Aware, like, all right. I get it. Yeah. It's like, I'm unless you weren't paying attention, <laughs> yeah, you're exactly. aware that there's a massive mental health crisis and that your mental health is probably struggling. Yeah. With, like most, for most people these days. So, but anxiety is a superpower. One, it, it comes from a lesson I learned early on in my career as I was a very young baby psychiatrist with the new office. And I was talking with a woman who had chronic depression and, and she pointed out sort of like the need one day to like, I, I need you to talk about something positive. Cause I was all into her symptoms and her history. And she's like, is, this has become such a negative place. And, and I realized like, oh, you know, this woman also has all these strengths and I, I hadn't reminded her of that. I hadn't encouraged that. I hadn't said, you know, you do this thing that I think is amazing. Uh, she's a business owner. She was really successful. She had, she's a great mom, all this stuff. So, and, and so I think that, that thinking, uh, I think in terms of, um, anxiety and it being a superpower, it's a way that so many of our emotions from sadness to, um, anxiety to insomnia get framed as symptoms. And, and while they are symptoms, when we treat them concretely like that, or we think about them in a traditional medical model that my job is to take symptoms away with medicines, we miss the meaning of some of our symptoms. Sometimes, mm -hmm. 
Doctors don't have meaning. People get suicidally depressed and incredibly anxious and have panic attacks for all kinds of biological reasons. But for a lot of time, a lot of us, you know, those symptoms have a lot of meaning and reasons that they're happening. And, and also they take on a lot of meaning to us. Um, and, and so with anxiety, you know, when we're worried and we can't focus, it really, it signals to us oftentimes the most important things in our lives that we need to pay attention to. Um, if I'm yeah. anxious about money or if I'm anxious about that, you know, uh, thank you note, I haven't written it. I mean, likely that's a really important, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> there's a reason. I, I think it's also where I trust your brain. Like when your brain is anxious and worried and I just say like, oh yeah, you're sick, you know, don't be anxious. Yeah. I just think it, it kind of flies in the face of hundreds of thousands of years of, of human brain evolution that like that mm -hmm. brain's anxious for some probably very interesting reasons. Maybe there's something a little off, mm -hmm. right? For sure. There's rarely a reason to have a panic attack for sure. Uh, you know, people develop severe anxiety. I don't want to belittle that in any way and, and can't leave their homes and, and um, you know, uh, uh, all that said, anxiety can be harnessed. And yeah. uh, I was just talking, I was really fortunate to train with the, uh, Josh Gordon, who's now the director of NIMH in the United States, who's just a really, really brilliant psychiatrist. And he was really talking about how now they're imaging and understanding that the way that psychotherapy really works is in, in, in changing the connections and modifying the connections between the circuits of our brain where the new part of our brain, our frontal lobes, really gets much stronger at controlling the fear centers of our brain, the amygdala. Yeah. And, and so that's why I say anxiety is a superpower because it challenges us to confront our fears. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I've got stage fright. My heart rate is 180. If you watch any of the TED Talks I've done, yeah. I think they're all horrible for the first two minutes because I'm just. I really. I think you come on. I was going to say to you that I think you come on like an absolute. Come on. I like take a breath and I'm, I know that that's me there. And, right. Uh, uh, right? So, how, how do you get over that? You, you do theater in college and, and you see how terrifying it is, but God, how thrilling it is, how mm. transcendent it is, how you can take this little dark space with a bunch of college kids and a great theater director and, and create this, like, oh, this whole world right together. Mm -hmm. I mean, so, uh, isn't so that I, just, I isn't that going into the, into the fear then you're just saying you, you kind of shine a light on it and you, you, you kind of, you don't, you don't push it down or judge it as negative, but you actually just receive it. And you say, this is, this is what I'm feeling. Yeah. When it physically begins to control me, I certainly, uh, fight back and control it. If my heart rate is jumping up, if I'm tense, if I can't sleep, if I'm anxious to the point, I get really nauseous when I'm anxious. And it, you know, that that's where I'm going to go much more to like, I'm going to ratchet that down because I'm not yeah. really, it's like, so unpleasant. I don't want to sit with what it is. I just want to stop you. a little bit. Yeah. And, right. Um, and I think there are lots of ways to do it. I think exercise is one, you know, one of the reasons so many of us like to exercise when we get anxious is just like, you know, when you're yeah. When you're struggling not to stop running, you're not as worried. You're just thinking about putting yeah. one foot in front of the other. So, mm. uh, but yeah, the, what, the bulk of what you say is exactly true, which is I get really curious. If I'm scared of something, uh, like uh, I'm really, I, I'm curious about that. And, and I guess I'm curious in, in trying to sit in that. But surfing is that way for me. I'm terrified of sharks and dark water. And I don't know, I'm a moderate <laughs> swimmer. And But I just, I think it's so fascinating to sit out there where, you know, there's like, like some, some really small chance that like, I'm going to get it oh. from the start, but like, like really not, <laughs> you know, Oz right. right. All right. Um, yeah. And just to sit with that feeling, right. Does it go away? Like, how does it get better? Like, how does it eventually, you know, how do you start? Focusing it, a lot on of the time, it, a lot of the time it gets better. I mean, we, we, we did this triathlon in uh, September in Malibu and I'd never swum and I don't, I don't know if you had you ever swum like that in the ocean mate? no i've no. never been in the ocean yeah we'd never, never we'd never swum we're from ever. england yeah we don't go in the ocean we're not it's we're surrounded not. by ocean in england that's no excuse yeah, it's not exactly <laughs> ocean it's, it's called <laughs> sea it's called <laughs> sea it's not ocean all right, all right, all right. yeah it's slightly different and um but we 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 did this triathlon and i and i was terrified of the swim leg of of it all and i was like i don't think i can do this triathlon because like i've got to get in this ocean and do it and we've never done it and we just went for it and he's like pushing me to do it come on we can do it let's come on and we end up doing some training then we go out to the ocean and it's that thing where you're looking at the ocean 
and you're terrified. You're looking at this thing that is creating the fear and then you go into the ocean and now you're in the ocean. You're not looking at it anymore. And, and the fear goes away and then you go, hang on a minute. We're together. We're in the ocean. We're safe. We can swim. We're in the wetsuits. And now we've just got euphoria kicking in. You know, we've gone from terror to euphoria and it's just such a cool, it happens every time that I have some sort of resistance to some kind of action or something I've got to do or a job that's important or even just jumping on a podcast like this and being like, what am I going to do? What am I going to say? And, you know, and like, how am I going to present myself? And then you kind of get into it and then you're, you just like another little click on the ladder of, of like progress or something is what, how, yeah, how no, I see it. I, I, I really love that. And I think also the, I love the way you describe, you know, diving into fear and how suddenly you get a different perspective of it. I was thinking about the waves and how, you sit and you watch them for a while, right? But in some ways, there's no sense of how big they are, scary they are, powerful they are, until you're actually out in them, right? And then that yeah. little thing that was like, oh, it looks like a two-footer. It's like, oh, yeah, it's, like, it's not. It's like hard to get out, oddly. Or, right. So it, it's, uh, and I think that's why I, I do encourage people. It's why I like psychotherapy as a tool. Um, uh, it's why I think journaling is a great tool as well to, to, you know, sit with, you know, not just fear, but, but those powerful emotions and, and not think about them, whether they're anxiety or sadness, just as symptoms, they're certainly symptoms, but as um, important things for us to pay attention to. I think that's really hard in mental health to sort out, right? Because if you're really, really, you know, struggling with the bad depression, a lot of what you're feeling is, you know, in some ways kind of like a false signal from your nervous system. Maybe there's some good reasons you're sad, right? You have grief or you're through, you know, having a lot of stress financially or you have a lot of genetics that predispose you that way. But kind of, I think it's where people get a, uh, have to really sp spend a lot of time thinking and sorting out for themselves, you know, in some ways, which is which. Hey, this is Leggy. Um, just a quick announcement or reminder, if you will, that we still have our Patreon account running. And um, if you've been enjoying the content and the podcast and the conversations that we're having and that you find them valuable in any way, um, one way that we would really appreciate in return, if you feel like you're up for it, is to donate a little bit of hard cash. Um, mainly because, you know, we live in the world and the world requires um, money on some level. And um, if we have a little bit of cash to help us make the podcast, to pay the people that work with us, that help us make the podcast, it just uh, makes our life uh, a little bit easier in accomplishing that goal you can go over to patreon.com uh, forward slash two lads you can sign up for i believe it's a five dollar a month um support uh tier or i think you might be even make a donation there so you could maybe even make a one-off donation whatever the amount is it doesn't matter how small or how big we would really appreciate any support that you can give us in that way and look if you can't afford anything that's cool too just want to do a quick message for you all and now let's get back to the episode um i was going to ask you this question about um um in in your opinion is there is there a correlation uh, between addiction between in the brain on a physical level and then also based in the kind of circumstantial environmental conditioning like wh where does addiction live as far as you um see it into um between those two worlds everything lives in the brain for me because i'm a psychiatrist and so i think circumstances um are the environment you know that our our brain and our genes play out in I think certainly there are genetic um, components to anxiety as there are learned behaviors, right? If you're growing up in a house with a lot of drug use and a lot of alcohol use, you're seeing that's how people cope with stress. You're seeing that's how people reward themselves. You know, it's not, it's not just that people are drunk and messed up. It's that there's a whole kind of notion of how that works for them as individuals. Um, I, I think when it gets into addiction and dependence, I certainly think about the brain and, and, and brain effects of substances, um, particularly alcohol for men, as that's really the, the main substance, the most damaging substance in general for men. Um, I guess you probably health-wise put nicotine on there. Um, but in terms of being really wrapped up with men, male culture, how we connect, how we bond, uh, you know, certainly 
alcohol is the substance by which, you know, I think your question relates most. And I think there's certainly a large biological component to that. And, and then I think you can kind of wire your brain a little bit over time. Mm. Uh, I think happens for a lot of people with alcohol that you know, alcohol becomes hydration. Alcohol becomes, as, as all of my patients, doc calls them, say, you know, al- alcohol is an alcoholics anonymous talks about, you know, it's always a reason to drink, right? You're celebrating the bad things happen, right? New <laughs> Year's. Yeah. Everything. New Year's. Yeah. But so, but what, so you're saying that it, but what, where do you think that stems from though? Like in terms of, I mean, to me, it's, it's coming from a source of some sort of trauma, which is experienced, mm. you know? So like, and therefore there's a pain associated to the trauma and the, and the alcohol is a, a, a tool to shut down the pain, right? In terms Initially, of the pain. I mean, yeah. I think that's very good for a, sort of theory and I would say that an accurate model for a lot of people that there's, you know, alcohol is a very powerful tool for suppressing physiology and feelings and inducing euphoria and a lot of emotionality and and with that emotionality, some processing, right? Everybody, everybody's had that night when they're out with their mates and they've had a few too many and someone says something and they choke up and everybody's like, it's all right, (laughs) you know, and I love you, you, man. I love you. Right. And there's a discharge, (laughs) the disinhibition and and a, uh, and a discharge that, that, you know, we all like, it connects us, it bonds us. And, and so, uh, I wouldn't say we all like, but, um, uh, you know, certainly a part of the experience with alcohol, I, I think certainly there's a lot of. Uh, you know, trauma and anxiety that gets medicated with alcohol. And and Mm. I think, you know, a lot of people, uh, I don't know, there's a lot, I love that there's only really one sound bite about alcohol, which is like two drinks a day is healthy for your heart. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Never never got around that one. Never figured that one out. Yeah. (laughs) And for men, for women, they only get one drink. And I I think it's about right. You know, I think it speaks to the way that, you know, we're as a species really wrapped around alcohol and 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 probably struggling with manifesting uh, around what it what it, the meaning of our anxieties are and and what it means to right. connect without alcohol. Well, that's exact. I was going to say, you know, that, that there's something interesting around, around your work, which I, I find really um, relieving. Is there's a there's a lot of care in in how you you know how patient you are with people, and certainly in your talks. And the thing that we're trying to kind of I guess manifest here or, or kind of promote here is an idea of, uh, of self-care, right? So that the details matter because if you aren't in some version of self-care, then for me, when I wasn't caring for myself, I ended up outsourcing it to addictions and pain, you know, these things. And I've learned over time that self-care is actually an incredibly important part. And, and for men, I think it's a hard realization to come to. Self-care feels like this feminine. I don't know what it was like in Indiana, but in London, no one's doing, no men are doing self-care. They're going down the pub and they're having a, you know, they're right. going and to in middle age, self-care is the stuff that like your wife tells you to do, right? Or right. Exactly. Back, right? You know, there's, a, there's, <laughs> like, like, there's an ad in, um, in England which is this woman, she's, it was, it was ran for a long time, right? It's this woman, she's in a bath and she's like got these candles and it's got this music and it's this beautiful moment in this thing. And she's obviously come home from a day of work. And then this guy comes in and goes, Oh, sorry, love, I'm taking a shit. And he just sits down and he has a shit. And he's a, but that for me encapsulates this idea of what we think of, right? Is these two things. Okay. So what I was interested in with, with you is, is you do talk about actions in this very caring way and, the caring manner manner in which you deal with these actionable steps, I, I feel like some. I think that that's a really important thing. I'd I'd, I'd love to hear some of a how you came to to such care and also what those actionable steps are because I think every day, you know, the, especially your stuff around food has has certainly changed my perception of you know going from like keto or something you know is to kind of go what is it what's the what's the self-care regime and manner that i can go about this with yes thanks for the question i mean i think part of where where it came from i guess there's sort of two places one is I, i um one is i'm a psychiatrist and i have been really blessed with just seeing a lot of really wonderful and interesting people who shared their lives with me. And it's given me a lot of hope. I've just seen people 
in situations that I honestly don't think I would be strong enough to get out of. And you see him get out of it and, right. and they're mentally ill people. And you think, damn, you know, it's just really, and, uh, and I've learned, I think it also teaches you humility because you see people in their lives and what happens and how their mental health evolves. And, it, and it's not always what you expected often or predicted. And so it makes you very humble. So I think that's maybe some of the caring tone you're, you're, you're hearing. I also got really fatigued after my first book, the happiness diet came out with the way that it put me into a debate that wasn't about the right thing where right? I was finding, I was spending a lot of time like angst ridden about like whether I was right about red meat or not, or right. whether you should like eat or, or like, you know, I'd be really excited because you guys are men to talk about how male vegans in the UK, like 52% in the Epic Oxford study were B12 deficient, And, you know, and it just, I just didn't like it. And then right. I noticed a lot of the messaging around health practices felt to me like, you know, basically a lot of fear mongering and fat mongering. And, and, and I just, I, I don't know. Uh, I decided what was really important for me was just to focus on what I care about the most, which is mental health and mental health. Mm-hmm. It, it just it deserves exquisite care. And so I really mm-hmm. like your notion of self care and some of the actions around that. Um, I think for me, probably some of the first parts of self care has been trying to learn how to take care of my mental health, what works, what doesn't, you know, how things that are sort of hard for me to be consistent with, like exercise, like in movement. Um, I, I would say there are, uh, for me, food has always been an important tool and, and a useful tool in terms of something that calms me down. And people talk about like how emotional eating is kind of bad. I'm like, what other type of eating is there? Like, you wanna, <laughs> like care about the food, care about preparing it, like, you know, be intentional with it, like have it mm. be pleasurable and hedonistic and delicious. Like that's all really good emotional stuff. But yeah. Um, and then I don't know, I've gotten, uh, uh, I would say really intrigued with what acts like I've been trying to count it up recently. Like if you really think about uh, in a month or in a week, like between trimming your nails and, and bathing and, and shaving and, uh, you know, just all the basics, right? And doing your laundry and washing your sheets and, um, and shopping for healthy food and eating it. And, 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 and that's just before you get to the mental health stuff. And, and then those actions are different for everybody. You know, for me, I've been in at least a weekly therapy since I was in medical school. Mm. And, and just out of the, like, I yeah. don't know. It just makes me better, stronger, more thought. I don't know. Just like that. It's, uh, I don't know. It's like, it feels to me like a fundamental investment in the machine in terms of yeah. understanding what it is and, and maintaining it. Um, yeah. uh, uh, do you so categorize, do you categorize like if you could quantify the importance of each kind of part of the mental, of the self care regime, like body, spirit, mm-hmm. mind? food all that kind of stuff like if you were if you were telling one of our listeners right now who doesn't even know what self-care is let's say right he's the concept mm-hmm. of it is like what, what are you talking about like your feelings and stuff like that like mm-hmm. like like where would you prioritize in terms of why is it say say for example why is it why is food important for your mental health food's important because i think you're speaking in some ways of the hierarchy of self-care yes. which is that if you're not taking care of your sleep and your food you know and nourishing yourself like i don't really want to waste my time or your time talking about why you're irritable yeah. right if you're drinking yeah. three beers a night you know and you wake up in the morning feeling nauseous and pissed off like yeah you know it's like i don't nobody needs to go to medical school to tell you what's going on right, <laughs> right. right. Yeah, yeah. and so i'm certainly happy to help you with all those goals and, and i'm I'm a therapist. I'll listen to whatever you want to tell me. But but in my mind, you know, uh, there are some of those basics, uh, I would say, in terms of, um, for me, the foundation has to be around food. I mean, that, that's been my work, but also that's the basic building blocks that makes up your brain and all of the emotions, thoughts, feelings, ideas, creativity, spirituality, like all the good stuff comes from your brain. So yeah. most people aren't missing lots of key nutrients for brain health, but a lot of people are, and a lot of people eat in a way really oriented more towards heart health, weight loss, being sexy on the beach than they do taking care of like a brain. Like if you didn't have a brain and the aliens came down and they're like, Leggy, I got this thing, Daniel, I got two of them. I got one for each of you guys. I brought it from outer space. It's, it's pretty cool. You got to keep it in the body, but it's like it dreams at night. It's uh, it can kind of do anything. It can learn any language you wanted to. It could kind of learn pretty much any job you want to become a pilot or, you know, do a triathlon, like, just take good care of it. 
you know, before they beamed out to space again, you'd be like, you know, it was like, how should I care for it? Like, does it need something? Right? You'd, you'd, you, and you'd really probably, you know, you'd treasure it. And that's, that's a pretty accurate description of our brain. I mean, it really can do anything for you that you want it to, if you work hard at it and believe in it. And, and there aren't really many things like that in the world. So, um, it's also your own worst enemy though. It can be, it's all, it's like the battle in your brain because your brain's also telling you to go and eat the McDonald's and go and do, drink the drink, like in the, in the, like the, in the dysfunctional area of your brain. So there's a war going on in my mind. You know, I mean, I think when you understand why your brain wants to eat those foods and in what context it's fine to eat those foods, when I'm hungry and I'm on a road trip and it's like a hundred miles of food and I got hungry babies in my car. Yeah, I'm thankful Mcmcdonald's there. That's clean, cheap calories. <laughs> right here for us, like, folks. Yeah, he's on it's it. Not, you know, it's not my first choice. I will have run out of my healthy snacks at that point. But uh, you know, I'm all for mixing it up on a road trip a little. But I hear what you're saying, which is that um, the brain is also the origin of our challenges. It's yeah. uh, and uh, so for me, that's where the foundational part uh, is. Where I think a lot of people are lacking some uh, strategies and, and sometimes awareness and, and oftentimes actions um, uh, of having habits, whether it's around bedtime, whether it's around um, tidying up on a Sunday night before a Monday. Uh, one of my best mates over here, I, I said, well, what do you have to do later? And he's like, you know, Sunday night. And I was like, yeah, what do you mean? And he's like, getting ready for the week. <laughs> It's like dumbass, <laughs> like, you know, like making sure we got all the food in store, like making sure that, you know, I've got my, it was just like a great moment of like, of course that's what you do on Sunday night. Simple. Right now, just, just like it, it, you know, eight o'clock every night in my house, the lights go dim. You don't do anything else other than read, you know, it's mm. time to settle down and start getting ready for sleep. Cause if you don't go to sleep and get into bed by 9 PM, you, you're, you're not sleeping eight hours a night. I've been taking mm -hmm. histories from patients for 20 years and everybody likes to say, you know, I like sleep like seven hours, eight hours a night. And I'd always say that too. I'd be like, cool. I'd write it down like seven to eight hours sleeps well. Right. And then I started monitoring my sleep a year ago mm. and people are delusional if they think they sleep at eight hours a night. I want you to prove it to me because when you monitor your sleep, if you are not in bed and thinking about winding down at nine to nine thirty PM and, and you're doing the very important thing for mental health, I would say when you want me to rank things of self-care, yeah. I think the most important self-care thing that a man can do is get up in the morning and look at the sunrise. Right. And that okay. sets your clocks for, for the day that sets the sleep cycle. That's also when, uh, I don't know. There's just a lot going on mentally in terms of um, creativity, in terms of, I don't know, it's just a great time. So, uh, and, and to set that up properly, you need to go to bed at an early hour, which again is totally averse to having a nightlife and following sports teams and, uh, you know, yeah. uh, going to the pub. I, I appreciate it. It sounds like really boring, horrible, annoying advice. So, yeah. Well, Sorry, we've stopped going to the pub, so uh, that you know that's yeah. one thing that we've got going for us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We uh, do you think? Do you think um, as as there's more? I've I've always wanted to ask people about this. I wonder, if, in your opinion, do you think as society changes in its kind of health focus that you know, obviously, the advent of electricity and light and the ability to be up. That you know, I'm in London right now, and it's like ten o'clock and. Mm -hmm. You were talking about that and I'm like, oh shit, I'm really in trouble. But the, <laughs> do you think we'll start, you know, do you think there will be a push to prioritize these things and therefore push, the, you know, people are meeting for lunches there? Or do you, do you see this kind of runaway train right now, which is that you're going to have to hold on to your own self-care routine in a way? Or do you think that some, some way that... I'm I a, guess that people uh, come together in. I'm a clinician, Daniel, because I just like to think about you. Or well, like fair me. enough. And I like just because I feel like that's the instrument of change and action for me as a clinician and as a physician. And so I, I do think that there is a runaway train. And I, I think mm. that we've been exposed to a type of stimulation and a type of power with our phones and, and social media that is incredibly exciting and powerful. And is really TBD in terms of what that means for us and our mental health. We, you know, we know the effects. It's pretty obvious the effects in some ways in the data. I mean, if you look at what has happened to teenage rates of self-harm, suicide, and depression, pretty mm -hmm. directly 
caused by social media. I mean, there's pretty strong yeah. data at NYU now, you know, kind of making it really clear that, um, you know, there is a runaway train in terms of uh, what has happened to we take care of ourselves, think about ourselves, um, uh, uh, present ourselves, what we spend our time doing, right? I never used to spend like hours a day on Instagram. Now I'm right. a content creator. So, yeah. right. <laughs> so I don't know what those the content out there. They came from someplace and, and a lot of times they came from, from self-care. And so um, it, it, it's, uh, Daniel, I don't feel I'm getting to the heart of your question though. No, I guess, I guess it, it, what you're talking about is, is, is this notion of responsibility, right? Like we, I, what I'm saying is, is that this is, it seems like this isn't going to change. And therefore, like, I'm just happy that you're uh, talking yeah. about this and that the people therefore yeah, have to grab you, onto this and then get hold of it. you don't think it's going to change, I would just ask whoever's thinking about that listening, like, why is it not going to change for you? Because right. if yeah. you're blaming the runaway train, you're engaged in what I think is the biggest fatal flaw, bad step that people and particularly men take, which is projection. You know, which is right. this notion that because, I don't know, like the world's on fire and people aren't healthy, that means that you're not going to be? Or right. just because like everybody likes to get super fucked up, that that's what you're yeah. going to spend all of your time doing? Or, right. you know, that you're going to keep doing it in the same way you've always done it, even though you're not feeling well. Right. And so but isn't just- it... But isn't it like such a symptom of the society then you think at the moment in terms of, I mean, I don't think that we actually fully understand the, 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 the repercussions of what technology is doing to us right now. I don't think we're still in the experiment, you know, so I, no, I don't I think, think that we like it too much. Like you well, like yeah, but, but the pleasure zone is powerful. It gives us access. It's very stimulating for our brains. It's well, like, hang on a minute. All Dr. The Drew, hang on. Colors, <laughs> hang all on. the flashing colors, all of yeah. like the nudie right. stuff, all the of problem, the material the pro- objects we the want problem to buy with that. delivered. The problem with that for me is, is that whenever I've been unleashed into the candy store without any uh, limitations, it gets bad. It's not a good scene in there, you know. So I think yeah. that restrictions and uh, limitations have always, as a as a creative person, that's always fueled the way I've made art in a, in a in a cooler way. And I've always gone to the extremes in my past life, in my past when earlier in my life, in my addictions and things like that, it's like, if it's there, I'll do it. And I'll just keep going till all the sweets yeah. are eaten or the chocolate's eaten. So now we have access finisher, to, right? Yeah, there's, but now, there's now we have food left. Yeah. So I'm just saying that like, you know, I think what, what, what you might be saying or what I'm tapping into and what we're trying to say is that even though it's all there and available, you as a, man or woman or any you know a person has ha, the, you have to have some sort of um um you know control of your own desires and limitations so that you have a structure in your life so that you don't just go into the full like all the pleasure all the chaos you know and and you, you find know, like, balance in your what life you're saying is, is is that um before we even talk about prioritizing self-care I think what you're saying is there is a runaway train of, of masculinity in terms of, you know, whatever way you're going to frame it, uh, that engages in a number of behaviors that are horrible for our mental health. And, and before you even think about how you're going to get into self-care, you have to be really clear that you're going to have to create a boundary. Yeah. And you're going to have to make a decision that isn't around uh, the things that excite men. You know, whether that's, uh, you know, uh, sex, whether that's getting, you know, messed up, whether that's money and power, whether that's winning, right? But but that, especially as you say, there's a buffet of kind of hedonistic pleasure now. Yeah. And, uh, and, and look, I'm all for hedonistic pleasure. Have fun, gentlemen. I don't want you to think I'm like Debbie Downer. And I, I, I don't know, there's, there's <laughs> from, from sober ways to have fun to non sober ways to have fun. There's a reason that people do all this stuff that I think is important to knowledge. But I like, mm-hmm. I like the idea that you're talking about, Hey, if you're just passive in this, you're going to end up really sick. Right. You're not going to end up with deep relationships. You're not going to end up with the self-care routine. You're not going to end up manifesting and realizing what is meaningful and purposeful for you in your life. And you're going to end up, you know, in probably pretty rough shape when it comes to how you feel about yourself. And I think it's a really important thing to point out. Yeah, I think, I think, you know, that uh, what I'm badly, not very eloquently kind of trying to say is that, that you are going to meet resistance in what you're certainly 
you know, going to a restaurant and saying, Hey, I'm, I don't want that. I want, you know, can I have this taken off? Right. I, and I'm just using that as an example of these. Oh no, it's I, a pin I, I stopped drinking a few, like four, four or five months ago now. And right. it's just like, I, 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 I sort of amused by it now, but just that moment when it's like, you know, everybody's getting their pints and this and that. And, right. and I've stopped saying it cause I realized, but I feel like, well, do you have any mocktails? <laughs> You have to acknowledge that that's a hard thing to it's say. So hard. Yeah. You know, I had, a, loads I had of this like um, hot mom, like literally um, laugh and then, and then give me like the pity, like, Oh, like you're not drinking. Oh, like, Oh, no. <laughs> just, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. it was yeah. so uh, anyway, but yes, I, th- I think that, that there is a discomfort in setting boundaries. There's a discomfort in changing routine. I think it's it, our conversation begins to come back. If you're yeah. fearful of changing your teen, routine, right? If you're getting into an area of discomfort with just a crazy notion, like, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, we're talking a lot about drinking, not drinking or, or um, you know, really, really um, committing to learning something, whatever yeah. it is, and you're scared of it, right? I mean, it, it, it's, uh, I think that is, you know, like should be a guiding light, a little, uh, little fairy in the forest leading you someplace really interesting. Yeah, I, I think I. I mean, I was going on about pain, but like, I really do think that pain is is a is a message to you that something's up, right? Like in the in the physical sense of pain, you know, if you've cut your leg, you need to address the wound, and the pain tells you you better get yourself to the hospital to get the wound uh, addressed, right? So, in the same sense, with these with psychological or mental pain, you know. I, I think it's important for us to like un- understand what that actually feels like and to, mm-hmm. to, to be able to register it as like, Oh, I'm actually in pain right now. Especially for men, we just kind of go like, Oh, we better get on with it. And we just put it down. And so well, yeah, and that's thought, being stoic, right? That's like one of the yeah. most important things about us. We're stoic. Yes. Like I could be in pain, but you'll never know. Cause I'm a man. <laughs> yeah. I actually got this book for, uh, for the holidays. So I'm, I'm, I'm already, uh, I'm already. Daily the stoic club's going to be pissed at you. Like they'll be like, dude, you're talking about pain on the podcast again. <laughs> pain is, you know, I mean, I, let me just jump into this segue into you. Cause I know this, the happiness book is an, an earlier book that you've written, but like, you know, is your, are you saying, are you trying to get everybody into a state of happiness constantly? And is that even possible? And what is happiness? No, and I, don't, then I don't think that's the, possible. Yeah. I, think, I think with my nutritional psychiatry books and my work around brain food, I'm really trying to do two things. One is I'm trying to get people interested in their mental health through, I think the easiest means is I've under, you know, I, I'm happy to just talk in a raw, unfiltered way about your mental health, but you know, that, that's, that's not what a lot of people are up for right away, but, uh, everybody's kind of interested in how they can eat. Everybody's eating Mm -hmm. and everybody's increasingly worried and thinking about things like their sleep and their energy level and their mood and their irritability. And, and, and so I think when I'm I'm with the food, trying to get people engaged with actions around their mental health and, and use this new science of nutritional psychiatry, which I talk about most in the most recent book, Eat to Beat Depression and Anxiety, now that we actually have science. I mean, there's, you know, there, there are multiple, four or five randomized clinical trials now looking at using food in clinical settings to treat depression. So mm, yeah. according to the most recent data, I'm a better doctor treating depression if in addition to a medicine and psychotherapy, I also say, have you guys heard about the Mediterranean diet? Let's talk a little bit about it. Let me give you some tips and tools. I'm going to ask you about it over the next few weeks. I, I want something to, I want to set some goals with you. I want you to eat more olive oil. What do you think? And I get you really engaged. And when that was done clinically with patients, 33 or so a full third went into full remission from their depression, no. which maybe sounds like a small number to some people, but for everybody listening, treating remitted depression. I mean, if that was a medicine, it would be the biggest blockbuster drug to get a third of people with resistant depression better. So there's, um, and then there's always a chemical reaction. You're saying it's like a chemical response. Well, it's yes, because what is food? Food is molecules and chemicals. And what are we doing with food right now? And I think it's where like you're down on the modern world in an appropriate way. And, And I think speaking about the ways that it's pathogenic, 
that we have yeah. moved towards a very efficient diet that doesn't have a lot of nutrients. It has a lot of calories and it's very inexpensive, which is great if you're hungry and, and hungover and all that, but it's not great if you're, again, trying to feel the most incredible thing in the world, which is your brain. Yeah. Uh, and it leaves us deficient in number of nutrients. I, I joked about that B12 study in the vegans, but look, plant-based movement has been huge. The idea that half of your British vegans are B12 deficient, another 21% are B12 insufficient. B12 deficiency leads to depression, dementia, and death, period. Yeah. Right. Yeah, like right. that's not a debatable fact. That's just basic neurology. See, look, you don't have to eat plant or you don't have to eat meat to get B12. You can take a supplement, but it just kind of, in some ways speaks yeah. to how fragile the brain is. The B12 is the biggest molecule uh, B vitamin that you eat. You have an entire cellular type that excretes a protein. Also, you can absorb B12. That's how important it is. And, <laughs> and, uh, so, you know, there is a way that we've moved towards eating food that biochemically leads to more inflammation. This is very clear. It leads to a less diverse microbiome. And, and, and those are the kind of organisms that live in your gut. Those are now pretty clearly different in individuals who go on to develop things like depression and, and dementia. Um, a lot of the foods we've always eaten to take care of uh, our gut and have been, you know, fermented foods always have been part of the human diet. Seafood almost always has been part of the human diet. Uh, plants, you know, when they find early, early hominids, you know, there's like dozens and dozens of plants in the gut. And so not that we always want to just look to the past in terms of how we design our diet, but as we get sick, we want to look to where we've deviated. And, and, and the signal in all the data about food and mental health is pretty consistent. Maybe it's a little boring, but it kind of says if you, if you were going to do one thing, moving towards a more traditional diet. And I don't mean traditional diet for you Brits, like, you know, fish and chips and pints of Guinness. I mean, traditional diet, <laughs> you know, well, I think actually Colcannon is a great dish. That's a traditional Irish dish. It's potatoes and kale. Right. I mean, like that's like a bevy of potassium, like kale is one of those nutrient dense things you can eat. I mean, like that's an incredible dish for your health. Um, so traditional foods, meaning, Fish and chips, not so much. Yeah, just unprocessed foods. You want to have some fish and chips occasionally. You know, I think it's one of the reasons I like prescribing food as a psychiatrist. I I don't, you want to have fish and chips sometimes, like, great. You should if you like it, you know. Uh, That's not the point. The point is that, okay, uh, that's some potassium in the fries. And, And in my work, kind of, how do you brain health that up a little bit? Right. right. Like what's the type of fish right. you're using and what are you frying yeah. it in? And that's a great meal, but I don't see a lot of plants on that plate besides the potatoes. What are we going to serve with paid. that? You know, and, and instead of having a massive, you know, half a pound piece of fried fish, you know, how can we um, sort of maximize the healthiness and brain healthiness of that dish? So all my books have recipes. If folks are kind of wondering about how to actualize this and all the programs that we have online from healing the modern brain, our new program, which is a, a kind of modular course around mental fitness to uh, the book Eat to Be Depression and Anxiety. It's really hoping to you know teach people these brain lessons, make it very actionable. Like how do you get more leafy greens in your diet? You know, the way I do that is pesto. I love pesto, super easy or, or lots of sauteed greens. I don't eat a lot of salads, but when you tell people to eat greens, they're like, yeah, I don't like salads. So, yeah, neither do I that much. <laughs> There's all kinds right. of different ways to do it. And that's what I've, I've really tried to help them provide some tools around that in terms of you know, self-care for nutrition and brain health. And then I really appreciate this conversation in terms of, you know, thinking a lot about male mental health and the barriers to self-care and a lot of the factors that I think leave men uh, really struggling with their mental health in a way. I do, I do want all the men and women to be listening that I, I, you know, uh, as one of my patients who is in a bad crisis said to me this fall, mental health is no joke. And if you're struggling in some way, I hope you, you hear this moment when somehow uh, these, these, uh, these sounds hit your eardrums that, you know, maybe it's a little sign to take a little step and do something about it. That's always, that's always the best step is the next step when it comes to taking care of your mental health. Hmm. I love that. Thank you. Uh, so great. What I love about your, the recipes in the back is it's not just saying like learn about it, but it puts you in the action and therefore f- the feeling of being involved in the world in some way, right. And the involved in your own nutrition. And that I, hope so. get- I, mean, I think that's, but it also comes to my clinical work, right. Where like uh, a lot of, you know, psychotherapy come to me and 
I can help you maybe feel less in a crisis, but to really understand the roots of what's going on, kind of what Leggy's right. a, a alluding to, you know, kind of the deep pains that some of us carry from trauma, that takes a little while and it's painful. It's not like, wow, I feel so much better. I just like spent an hour talking about my horrible, painful, whatever, childhood trauma. It's hard. Um, yeah. Meds take a while and they're not always easy for people for a variety of reasons. Oftentimes they are, but not always. But food is something patients are doing every day. So that feeling that you just talked about, Daniel, is one of the reasons I really got inspired about nutritional psychiatry was this notion of, you know, we're both going to go eat dinner. All three of us are going to go eat dinner. You guys already did, right? You'll have breakfast tomorrow, right? There's a way that our conversation can inspire us to just make slightly healthier and better choices and then feel a little win, a little celebration, a notion that even though I'm feeling not well, I've taken a few steps to help improve my brain health and mental health. And, and I think there's a huge, uh, I call it the food SIBO effect. There's a huge food SIBO effect that, you know, it's, it's like, uh, you know, when you go to the gym for the first time in a while and you look over and you're like, gosh, somehow I'm getting back in shape after just two times, you know, and, and I feel it's the same way with food. Like you, you if you eaten well, for, haven't eaten well for a while, you eat that healthy food and you're like, wow, this stuff really makes you feel good. <laughs> it really like, yeah you know, hits you. And so, yeah, that's, uh, that's where I, I like the food is something that again, is active. We can do, especially you mentioned addiction leggy where, you know, one of the really hard challenges in early sobriety is it's just so boring, right? Cause you're used to being messed up or you're used to medicated. So you're sitting, it's like boring and hard. You're sitting, you're bored and you're having a lot of hard feelings that you've been suppressing often or coping with uh, via substances. And so, it's one of those, you know, going to the grocery store, going to the farmer's market, chopping up vegetables, cooking a crock pot, inviting people over for dinner. It burns time and it's goal directed that just mm. kind of, and it's pleasurable, right? So there is a kind of, you know, like uh, substances, there is a sense of putting an effort and getting in uh, a nice, you know, kind of dopamine sense of seeking and then achieving. So, mm. As we come up to the hour, Dr. Drew, um, we could wrap up. But I just wanted to to kind of siphon all that down because I was what was when you were speaking, there, I was just like, oh, hang on a minute, this is what's cool. The food part is almost like you're kind of you can immediately jump into this work through this food structure. You know, as we go into the trauma and the talking and the therapy and the exercise, all these other things take a bit of time to kick in, but you can start with this food immediately, yeah. you know, and, yeah. and, and, it's, and it's at first, and as you asked me, like, where do these things rank in the hierarchy? In my mind, because it's daily, because it's necessary. And because unlike other things that are daily and necessary, like, I don't know, like breathing and sleeping, you know, with food, you really have, like, it doesn't get in your house unless you bring it there. Right. And right. so it, there is a, a level of control and engagement that I think is really, um, enticing. And I think that's where it starts, right? If you don't have enough zinc or B12, if you're not taking care of yourself, if you're not kind of making a decision on a fundamental level, like I'm really worthy of great nourishment. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think that, that it, it, you know, not that that stance isn't hard to get into or that we don't waver in that, but like, that's really who we want to be as yeah. people and as men, right. Yeah. With mm -hmm. this notion of, I really know how to care for and love myself. I have, mm -hmm ideas and theories and ambitions around that. And, and the most pleasurable part about that is that then puts me in a position that really redefines masculinity, which is, right. uh, I'm really in a position to share, to give, to be kind, to be curious, uh, all of the things that masculinity is really, really struggled with. Yeah. Mm. I love that. That's beautiful. I, I think that's really beautiful. And like really it, in such a kind of, uh, linear fashion has kind of brought us around here, which is that these are these tiny little moments, right, around what we think of as being a man and or what we think of as being, you know, healthy. And like the, you are going to meet resistance. There are daily little moments where you can make those differences. There are daily little yeah. things you can do. And there have to be, I would say, I they, mean, in some ways, like, like that, you know, we, we make it this mountain, right. But it's like, uh, it's like, you know, that's just a step, uh, you know, it's right. as you're saying it. And I do think there's really brilliance in that, you know, because it, if you're not seeing those moments in your daily life, which I think a lot of times when we're depressed or drinking too much, like we don't, right. It feels like right. this oppressive thing that we're stuck in. 
but, but that's really when, if you're not seeing those little moments where at least, you know, sure, maybe you're still making the choice that leads you into places that don't feel great, but you've got to see those moments where you're making the choice because that's really mm. the beginning of like self-care and self-actualization. But, but you also need leaders like yourself who show that this is a, that you're not sugarcoating it, but you're also not drilling it in that way. And I think it's important for men to see this. And I, I really am just really thankful that you came on and, and chatted with us because it's, you need role models who just go, Hey, just think about this. You know, look, look, this is just, this is just my clinical opinion do it or don't but look here it is and i just uh, i never had that yeah, know, in england and and i never got access to that and it would i just think it's like so fucking cool that that, that it's all know, out there this. it's all out there and yeah. you can do it mm-hmm. if you just put in that work and thank you for for kind of pioneering that even in the, in the details that you do well, thank you, Daniel. Like, I really appreciate you guys spreading the word and just having this open conversation where, you know, men can t- talk about that these things are real, that there's a lot you can do about it, that the more we connect on it and keep the conversation going. Um, for men who are listening, another great resource, we've done this really fun series with Men's Health called Friday Sessions, which is up on Instagram TV on the Men's Health channel. And it's basically all these interviews myself and I've got a great uh, one of the men who's really become a close friend over the years, we have Greg Scott Brown, who's a fellow psychiatrist and yogi. And we've interviewed all these men about their mental health, uh, rappers, singers, athletes, artists, businessmen. And it's, and I think our hope with that was just to show that all of these successful folks who we look up to have lots of questions and struggles and, and experiences with their mental health. And so, yeah. but you know, the, 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 the more we keep the conversation going, just like this one, I, I, I just, you know, just like those moments that we're asking everybody to look for in their lives, I kind of feel like one conversation at a time, the more we're talking about how masculinity around mental health needs to change. I mean, we haven't dropped any stats. I just want to end dropping stats. 70% of all completed suicides are white yeah. men. Yeah. So yeah, probably about 80% of all completed suicides are men. Yeah. Um, the, uh, rate of substance use disorders so is nicotine, alcohol, cocaine, all of them is 49%. So one in two men. Wow. Uh, and, and, and I just, I just think those are, I don't know. I just yeah. wonder in my lifetime, like if we talk enough about it, you think we can change those stats? Like, I think we can. I really yeah. want to. Well, something's so, going on there for sure. You know, that's, that's not nothing at all. You know, that's not nothing. Yeah. Yeah. That's not well, thank you so much for coming on the Two Lads podcast, uh, Dr. Drew Ramsey. We, we, we really appreciate it and we hope to check back in with you again at some point and uh, see how we're getting on, see if we've survived. Yeah. Well, Daniel, like, yeah, I really appreciate being on here. I don't feel like we set enough food goals for you, so I'm just going to leave you with my little <laughs> nutritional psychiatry. McDonald's is okay. You said McDonald's yeah, is all right. <laughs> McDonald's. On the road trip, I said. Yeah, okay, okay. Trip. Uh, but you know, I have a little rhyme, seafood, greens, nuts and beans, and a little dark chocolate. And I haven't figured out how to figure fit in fermented foods as part of the rhyme as well. But those are just when I sit and I'm like, all right, like I haven't eaten a lot today. I've been working way too much. I've been here in the Zoom cage. When I think about like what's next, Hmm. I think about through those food categories and just what I've missed. When was the last time I had leafy greens? When was the last time I had some nuts and beans? And one, it helps reassure me that those things are in my diet pretty frequently, but also it kind of helps guide me you know, to some just food categories I've missed out on that I know are important um, for my mental health. It's happened to me recently. My B12 level is a little low and it surprised me. And I was oh. like, well, when was the last time that you ate a great source of B12, like a mussel or a clam or an oyster? Mm. I love all those foods. I just couldn't really remember. And so yeah. I don't know, over the last week I happened to be on the shoreline. Man, I, I like five years worth of b12 clams mussels <laughs> clams are the top source of nutritional b12 really anybody yeah okay yeah. if you're vegan or veggie, nutritional yeast is a, is a great way but uh yeah but it's been a pleasure to talk with you all and um i hope everybody listening will will at least do one thing yeah. to take care of mental health and i do hope we can check back in yes and yeah, see i'm that. really curious over the years you guys are being very intentional you know, there's lots of, there's lots of things you're doing. What are the ones that stand out for you that really kind of register mental health wise? I really would like to ask you to pay attention uh, to that in terms of, you know, I, I kind of think that mostly in terms of uh, mood contentment, but also for me and kind of my clinical practice, it's like, 
like the, I don't know, like the, the highest level of you, like the creativity, the spirituality, like what are the activities that kind of take you from, you know, maybe struggling a little bit with mental health into that kind of higher plane. And, and I'd, I'd love to hear about your experience with that. Yeah. Mm. We'll, 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 we'll keep tapped into that. I mean, we've been on that journey for a while together and individually and in the teams and just kind of, we're, we're so on it, um, which has developed into this podcast. So we're, we're really, it's, it's all, it's the, fa- it's the foundation of everything that we do ultimately just living in the world. It's all coming off that processing of our brain. So, and, and our feelings and emotions, and it's just been such a prominent aspect of our lives, particularly for me and Daniel in the last few years. So we're super into it and, and we're, we're looking forward to seeing how we develop as we go through it now. So yeah, we'll definitely keep you posted on that. Yeah, you're one of the, you're one of the lads now. Dr. Yeah, Drew. you are. Yeah, you're, you know, a lad. you're a lad. You're I hear I start, I hear I'm helping start off season two. So yes, uh, you are. You are indeed. Um, we're going next level. We'll get to meet in person someday and, and keep Absolutely. doing all the great work until then. And yeah. I know it's late there for you guys, but uh, I look forward to, to catching up in the future. And and please, as this goes up, let Alex know and, yeah. and we'll get it plugged in and, and, and share Absolutely. it literally everywhere. We'll put all the oh, links in and all that stuff and all that good stuff. So thank you so much, Dr. Drew Ramsey. All, all right. Ramsey. Yeah. Really appreciate have it. A, thank you. Have a great one. Take care. Take it easy. See you, mate. Thanks so much for listening to that episode of the Two Lads podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. We certainly enjoyed making it and having the conversation. Please don't forget to subscribe, hit the like button, do all that good stuff wherever you're listening to this podcast. We really appreciate the feedback. Leave comments, say what you got to say, hit us up on Instagram. Let us know if you want us to talk about anything in particular. We are coming up to our uh, last couple of episodes of season two. We'll be taking a break, but then we'll be coming back with a whole new invention. Um, so be sure to stay tuned for uh, the latest and greatest in the two last podcast anyway until then and until the next episode next week yes lad <laughs> <laughs>